Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is the actress, writer and director Deborah Eisenstadt. This is one of my favourite interviews because it really gives a great insight into the way of making a film, how to independently go out there from just a dream, put it to paper and make it become reality. It's a really inspiring interview and I can't wait to share this with you. We get to talk all about the brand new film that she's just released called Blush and honestly I really can't wait to share this with you very shortly. But in true typical Mark and me fashion, I like to touch base and talk about the last episode. On episode 120, I was joined by Matthew Modine, the absolute legend. This interview's only been out a couple of days and it is absolutely manic at the moment. I'm releasing so many interviews because there's so many to get through. But Matthew was amazing. We got to talk all about Full Metal Jacket, Stranger Things and so much more. And even though it's only been out a couple of days, I want to give a big thanks to Matthew who took the time to retweet it, share it amongst his social network and it gave me a huge boost in numbers and I've seen loads of new people following the podcast and loads of tweets. So I'm really glad that everyone enjoyed that interview. But let's get back into today's episode. I'm talking to Deborah Eisenstadt, so let's get straight to it. So Deborah, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me. What I wanted to do for the listeners out there that are new to your work is take it right back to the beginning. Um, So maybe when you were a child or in your teenage years, what was it that made you fall in love with film? Um, Actually, I was first interested in theater. Yeah. And and specifically plays. I had a much older sister who was a writer and she had all these amazing plays on her shelf. Got really into reading Tennessee Williams and... Sam Shepard, and I would read them out loud. And I started going to acting classes very early. And um, I lived in Queens, New York, and I would travel into the city for these acting classes as a kid. And I took it very, very seriously and um, just loved to be able to interpret words that I didn't have as a child, you know, yeah. um, and express feelings that I w- couldn't articulate myself. And so I think that's what really got me into acting. Yeah. But I also loved writing and I wrote a play, I remember in sixth grade and I would cast people, it was sort of more of a fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> I would like cast my classmates, but I was 11 and nothing was ever realized. And um, when I went to away to school, I, I majored in theater and um, Then when I graduated, I started going to open calls in the newspaper and I would get cast and off off Broadway, off Broadway. Um, And I got a break getting cast through an open call as the understudy in David Mamet's Oleana. Right. And I was understudying that role um, for about a month. And during an understudy rehearsal, he asked me if I wanted to go up during the rehearsal. And I was already had memorized the whole thing. I was very prepared, very ambitious at that time. I was about 22. Um, and he, I ended up taking over the role and then ultimately doing the film. And that sort of launched my acting career, which was both in, mostly in theater, but I did some television and film. Um, and I quickly throughout my twenties did that and realized that I felt very powerless 
I had some bad experiences um, with directors and I had some bad experiences with agents. And I really was very naive. I didn't understand how the business worked no. and I was very idealistic. And so I went back to film school and for my thesis, I did a feature film that I didn't think anyone was going to see. Um, and it ended up winning an independent spirit award and the grand jury prize at slam dance. And I had made it for really no money. Um, and that sort of launched me becoming a filmmaker. And um, it's been a slow journey for me because I soon after that got pregnant. Yeah. Had, went and had children. There was some, I had a lot, there was like a lot of personal stuff that I had to deal with, with illnesses and, you know, this and that. But throughout the, the my journey as a, just being a human being. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every, um, I have been able to eke out a f some feature films, independent feature films that were made for very little money, but would get out there, you know, would win awards, go to festivals. Um, this film Blush um, is another one of these kind of films that I had started writing, I think when my daughter was about nine yeah. and it didn't get me, now she's 18. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, by the time I actually got around to making it, it was originally supposed to be like a $5 million film. And then it, and then I had to kind of, it was just not happening at that level. And I knew I could make it for very little. And it was one of those, these kinds of projects where it was just a passion project. Everyone involved knew that and wanted in. And, you know, every, it's, it was shot, 200 scenes were shot in 15 days and oh. It's, um, you know, that's sort of how I make, I've been making films, you know. So with obviously Blush, you directed it, you wrote it, you were the editor. It's quite a lot of work. Um, with such a, I mean, you said it was kind of nearly a decade in the making since your daughter was nine and now nearly 10 years later. <laughs> um, was the fact that you wanted to take on all those responsibilities yourself because you were getting sick of the treatment you'd had in the past? Was it a kind of, if I do it, then no one can treat me badly or have any more bad experiences from the past? Or was it just a case of, this is my baby and I wanna make sure that I can have the kind of all hands-on experience with it? Well, I think I do like the autonomy of being the writer, director, producer. I mean, I love to collaborate. I don't feel like, you know, even though I'm like collaborating with editors when I'm editing, I'm collaborating with the actors, I like to also collaborate with the actors to the point where I'm editing my writing to the actor. So I think it's very much, um, my, my films happen to are very character driven and very actor driven. And I do like to incorporate their ideas and it's very scripted, but if I can do a rehearsal, I will always try to get the actors involved. Yeah. In in this in what I'm saying because it's coming from them, and I do like this idea of working with actors in a way that I was never had the opportunity to work with a direct. Like I always wanted a director to work with me in this collaborative way and not feel like a puppet. You know. Yeah, definitely. And I, I enjoy. I, I respect actors, and I think it's your. You know, my words are being interpreted by them, and it's really important to have that kind of environment and set up that trust to get the performances because I'm making it for such a small budget. 
that's all I have are the, the writing and the actors, really. I don't have time to set up beautiful pictures like I would love to. Um, I think that, um, I yeah, I do like working in this way because it's almost like doing theater on film. Yeah. It feels like um, um, I'm working in the theater in a way, which is where I began. And, and with and, these films that you've worked on, and obviously we've talked about Blush now, but with these budgets that aren't five million, does that take the pressure off for you? I know then you can't have like much special effects or have this whole big green screen and stuff, but mm -hmm. is that is it kind of nice to be in that comfort zone of at least, you know, you're not going to have this pressure of trying to pay back to these investors, et cetera? Yes. Yeah. I think, I do think that that is nice to not have to have people also hawking over your shoulder or, you know, I have this deal with Blush actually, because I didn't, you know, somebody else financed it and they did, there, there was money involved. It just wasn't a big budget. Yeah. Um, and because I'm such a, I guess I'm a control freak. I was such a control freak. I made a deal with them that I would have creative control. I could maintain creative control if the film got into like some of the top film festivals in the world. Right. And that was the deal. And they said, okay, well, yeah, if you get into a can or Sundance or whatever, you can maintain creative control. And that was in the contract. So I was putting pressure on myself really to, to maintain that kind of control, but it was good. It was it made it challenging. But then in the same breath, I can see you're ambitious. You know, if I look at all the stuff you've been involved in when you've been editing and cinematography and writing and producing and directing, do you feel ambitious that you want to then have that big budget and those extra things and those extra toys to play with and do more special effects and action sequences that you kind of like, oh, I really want to kind of get involved? Oh, yeah. yeah. Most importantly, what I want is time. Yeah. You know, because the thing that's missing from, from everything is the time that you, I would love to have rehearsal time and I would love to have time to set up shots and I would love to be able to hire like, a, you know, the kinds of DPs that can create just atmosphere, like that atmosphere that some films have where it just takes you back to an era. I am writing something now that is big budget. Yeah. Um, and I have written things in the past that are also would require a bigger budget. They just haven't gotten made. Um, I'm writing something now for other directors that are big directors. Yeah. Um, but you know, even then it's like, I don't know if they're going to, you know, it's such a hard business. And I think the mistake that a lot of uh, people make is relying on other people. I've become so self-reliant almost. And so I'm not going to wait. Like you get one life. Yeah. If I waited for somebody else to make my film, no one's going to care as much as I care. So if I can get enough passionate people behind a project myself and produce it myself, I am prone to do that simply because I know how impossible it is to get things made. It's just so hard. No matter what level you're at, it's still hard. And where are you at now? Like you said, you're writing for other directors. You've got an idea for your next film. Um, I know the lockdown and COVID and everything has affected everything, but it does give those people out there the chance to reflect and have more time to write. And, you know, being at home a lot more is a, a good thing if you're creative. Have you been able to get some ideas off the ground that you've probably had on the back burner for a while? Yes, in fact, I have had this one project in mind for years that I've been intimidated by because it's a period piece and I wanted it to be like a TV, a, a TV series. And I have really been like dedicated to going into that world, which is requires a lot of research. And so this pandemic has actually been a 
God sent for me in that way, yeah. where I've really given myself the time to immerse myself in this world. It's like takes place in the Victorian era, which I'm obsessed with. And, um, you know, I'm challenged, I'm trying to challenge myself creatively. And in so many ways, I'm also this other script for these other directors. I'm, I really love. And, um, then I want to also do another small film because I know I can get it made, you know, yeah. and I have actors that I love working with. So there's three different projects that I'm like working on. And it's been actually, I, I feel like I'm spending most of my time in my imagination, <laughs> which is a good place to be, frankly, right now. So, I mean, I, I, it's been good for me in that sense. I'm looking at your obviously um, history in writing and directing everything that you've written so far, you've been then able to go on and direct your own work and your own script and your own story with the fact that you're writing now and you could then hand that over to another director, say, say hypothetically, you get a huge director that takes on your work. How do you actually control that mindset of kind of letting go? Because it must be difficult when you mm. produce this piece of work and then you're, trusting in someone else to kind of do it justice I'd find it quite difficult to be really proud of something I've written and then be thinking to myself please look after this and do it justice you know that's so funny I just had an experience like this where I was asked to do something and the thing I wrote was interpreted completely like not how I intended <laughs> because I there was no um and it was hard but um yeah. that was just a small thing like I can't um I, I, will, I don't know how I'll, I'll I, I mean, I, I wrote this other thing for these other directors, which I do, I am producing as well with them. Yeah. So I'm hoping I will have some input and they trust that I could be on set, you know, but I don't know how that's going to go. I really don't. I've just interviewed people recently and um, I've, I've had a lot of directors where the studio has so much interference or they get mm -hmm. to a point. I had Neil Marshall on here and we talked about Hellboy and he wasn't proud of the way that it looked and he wasn't really wanting to be associated with it in the end. And it always makes me think, if I was a director, at what point do you lose that control? It must be terrifying if it's something that's so personal to you or something that's meaning and then you just kind of I don't know I'd never want anyone to sabotage it I always want to make sure it'd be sacred enough that you'd have enough control within it to keep it how you right want. well that's exactly why I do what I do yeah because I I don't I really I mean I this yes I completely feel that way and I love being able to I don't know how people writers give it up no and also these bigger things that I'm writing I don't know if I'll be even be able to like this finite series I'm writing I don't know how that's going to come about. Like, I don't, I don't know if it'll happen. And it's another thing you're writing something, putting so much work into it. And I can't afford to make a Victorian period piece myself. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to, I couldn't, I don't know if I could raise that money. I would definitely have to get other people involved. And then when you get other people involved, they're like, well, we need a bigger director. So <laughs> I don't know. Can't win, can you? Yeah, I don't know, but I'm doing it anyway. And it's taking up, it's, it's providing some entertainment for me because I'm getting to go. I feel like I'm in that world when I'm writing. I, I yeah. do feel like it's a transcendent experience. So even the experience alone for me of writing is so enjoyable that if nothing comes of it, at least it was a good distraction, I guess. Definitely. <laughs> even though I hope that's not the case. I mean, then it does feel a bit like masturbation, I guess. <laughs> 
And a few people um, that listen to the podcast are filmmakers. I've had a lot of people email me after the episodes go out or they're directors that want to produce or write a film. What advice do you give to those people? Because there's a lot of people out there trying to make a name for themselves in the industry. Um, I think it's the best time to make a name with all the social media and the fact you can have a 4K camera on your phone now and filmmaking yeah. being so accessible. Yeah. But what advice do you give to those people that think, I want to take that step. I want to try and get people to take notice of my work and take me seriously. What advice do you give to those listeners that really do want to be a director like yourself or a writer? Well, I think it all begins with the script. Yeah. You know, so whether they're writing it or they find a story, find a story you love, find something that has that you're invested in and that means something to you. Um, so that it, you're starting from a really strong ground. And then once you have that, um, set a date, get, you know, and don't wait. I mean, really don't wait. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, if you, if you have something substantial that you really want to say, or you have a script or a story, like get the rights, do whatever you need to do to acquire those rights, because then you're in control. And don't, you know, you got to be fearless. You have to just go for it. And, you know, you only get, you, you only can, you only have so much, I don't know, at a certain point, you, you're not going to have the energy it takes to make these things like come off the ground. And also take notice of what's available to you. Yeah. Um, what's obvious, like go for the obvious. Don't look, look what's right. What, what locations do you have that are at the ready? What actors do you know? Um, if you're looking for talent, you don't know actors, go to stand up clubs or go to club. You know, I guess you can't do that now, but go online, go to YouTube, yeah. go find people. There's so much talent out there and so many people wanting to get involved in projects and collaborate. It's like better than ever now because everyone's got their own YouTube channel and everyone's a celebrity. So um, you can make it happen. And you really can I think our time's just about up. So I wanted to say a massive thank you for taking the time to join me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, really. Um, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, obviously, in the UK, we're going to get the blush released um, in the next few weeks. So good luck with that. I'm glad that a lot more people are going to get on board and get to see it. And uh, I hope we can record again in the future. And when you have some more titles under your belt, we can discuss and uh, see how your career is going. Well, thank you again for your, you know, interest and support. I appreciate it. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Deborah. And as I said at the start of today's episode, I thought it was one of my personal favourites. I say this because it gives a real insight into how much work, dedication and time it takes to actually get that idea onto paper and then produced to an actual film. So I have nothing but respect for Deborah. And I've been so lucky that I've been able to see the film Blush and can honestly say it's brilliant. So as you're listening to this, go and check it out on the streaming services. Just Google it. You know where to go by now. I'll put some links up on my own social media and check this film out. It's brilliant and you're going to absolutely love it. With Mark and me at the moment, I've put some tweets out and some Facebook hints and all this sort of things that you're used to now. But there's going to be a big announcement this weekend. If you're listening right now, you're going to get the announcement early. Mark and Me is going to be now a two-episode podcast per week. Yes, you heard that right. Every single week now, you're going to get two episodes on a Wednesday and a Saturday. 
For too long, you're getting episodes a bit random. So sometimes you'll get them at the weekend, you'll get them randomly throughout the week. But I want to get some structure. I want to know that those listeners out there, you guys at home, know exactly when to expect that new slice of Mark and me. So every single Wednesday and every single Saturday, you will be given a brand new interview to listen to. That alone in September is going to give you nine episodes. That's nine episodes in one month and again in April. I can't wait for you to hear what's coming up this month. I really do believe that in the whole of my podcasting career to date, March for me is my strongest month ahead. The interviews that I've done are getting deeper, more personal, such a variety of guests. You're going to be getting some musicians, artists, film stars, directors, and honestly, it's the best work I've done. And I really, truly mean that. If you love the podcast, now is the best time to support me. I have a Patreon page and you can sign up there for as little as £3 or about $4 a month. For that now, you're getting two episodes guaranteed every single week. You're getting prizes from companies like Vice Press, Last Exit to Nowhere, and whenever I can, I'll get DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff from the guests that I've spoken to. I'm giving away more now than I've ever given away and honestly the prizes that money can't buy. Some of the competition prizes I've done over the last few months are artist proofs from some of the best artists in the country, exclusive Blu-ray box sets, rare posters and even more. If you really want to support the podcast, this money goes right back into the product. I don't make any money off it and it allows me to go out there and do more and more interviews which means more and more episodes for you. I understand that times are tough right now, but every single penny can make a huge difference and I really appreciate the support. If you don't want to support me on Patreon, the podcast will always be free and I'll make sure that always happens. But you can support me by retweeting or telling your friends about this podcast. I'm on Amazon Music, Spotify, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, literally everywhere you want to go out there and listen to a podcast, Mark and me will be there. If you want to share it on Twitter or Facebook, it means more than absolutely anything. So thanks everyone for supporting this podcast. It makes a huge difference. I'm going to be back in only three days time. As you just heard, every Wednesday, every Saturday, there's going to be a new episode. And the next one is one of my personal favorites and I can't wait for you to listen to it. So until then, keep safe, look after yourselves and I'll be back in a few days with a brand new episode. Awful small affair to the girl with the mousy hair, but her mummy is yelling no, and her daddy has told her to go, but her friend is nowhere to be seen. Now she walks through her sunken dream to the seat with the clearest view. And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on singers Fighting in the dance hall
America's tortured brow That Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow Now the workers have struck for fame Cause Lennon's on sale again See the mice in their million hordes From Ibiza to the Norfolk broads Blue Britannia is out of bounds To my mother, my dog and clowns But the film is a sad thing for Cause I wrote it ten times or more It's about to be written again As I ask you to focus on Still I'm on. 